Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited for today's show. We have Shayla Manitowabi Hubner here on the show. I can't wait to talk to her about, well, I shouldn't say talk to her. I've already spoken with her, but we talked about a variety of things. Uh, first and foremost, um, we talked, well, I should say first and foremost, a couple couple big topics today were she was a middle distance uh, track athlete in college predominantly, and a very good one at that. It was a uh, division, I think division two All-American, um, but an excellent, excellent runner, been quickly after college, decided to get into the marathon, which is um, not really the common path for a lot of uh, a lot of runners. So I want to talk to her about that. But also, as a Native American runner, how she has incorporated that part of her life um, kind of into her life as someone who's a child of adoption, and then also put it into her athletic life as well, and, and running for uh, Native women's runners uh, at the Boston Marathon. I thought this was the perfect chance to talk to her about all of that. Before we get into it, I want to talk about Tannery. Tannery is a runner sunscreen, basically for runners, by runners, and I absolutely love it. They have the mineral sunscreen, they got the regular sunscreen, and they got the lip balm. All of it is so good. And there's two things that matter most for running sunscreen. Okay, first of all, making sure it doesn't run into your eyes as you are running and making sure it just stays in place. Also, that it does its job and keeps you, you know, keeps the sun off your face and you don't get the sunburns and all of that good stuff. And I can tell you, I have put it to the test. I am someone who sunburns incredibly easily and it does the job. Also, it's made with all good materials. You're not going to be putting a whole bunch of junk into your body as well, which I know is a big topic for so many people. If you could go to tannery.com today, that's T-A-N-R-I, that's T-A-N-R-I.com today and use code rambling, you're going to say some dough as well. So let's get into it with Shayla today. All right, Shayla, I'm so excited to chat. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is exciting. So first of all, congratulations. Great job in Boston. I know it's a great race for everybody. Was this the first marathon? Yeah, it was my first marathon. It was, that was a leading question. I shouldn't say it. I knew it was your first marathon, but you know, I got to pretend like, you know, but this, but to your first marathon being Boston, that is super exciting. And you did so well. Um, I guess we have a lot of things to talk about and I, and I can't wait to talk about most of it, but let's just go chronologically a little bit, which I don't usually like to do, but you're one of the, the rare individuals who um, kind of gone from like college track into relatively quickly going into marathons. So walk me through just like the high school to college progression um, for you as a runner and how like, you know, the, the, the events that you really took to and really, um, you know, you gravitated towards. Yeah, I've usually gravitated towards those mid-distance events, more so like 400, 800, 4x4, 4x8 in high school. Last, I also ran cross country, but it wasn't my strong suit and I didn't take it super serious because of that. Um, I kind of just did it for the social aspect and to stay in shape for basketball and other sports. Um, I wasn't terrible, but I personally just didn't think I was amazing at it. Um, and then last minute decided to run in college. I think I decided the summer before 
uh, university in my hometown, Northern Michigan University. I think the coaches came to a few of my high school track meets uh, my senior year because I was injured my junior year. I didn't get to run, so didn't um, explore a lot of options there. But um, I was grateful to stay in my hometown and run for the team. I was kind of nervous because I was going to live at home. So like this, these are going to be like my built-in friends. But I ended up running the same events, more so the 400. I didn't really continue with 800 as much. Didn't run cross country my freshman year. I was just kind of a, I was kind of a sprinter because I was doing a lot of like 100 meter uh, workouts or 10 really short things. And I was kind of confused a little. I wasn't uh, used to that college training. I'm like, how am I supposed to run a 400 with like the short workout? I was just uh, young, but um, didn't, uh, I had decent success. I was running more like 200, 400, four by four. I think I ran one 100 meter race and I was so slow compared to everyone. But um, it wasn't until like my uh, sophomore year, I started cross country again. I asked if I could be on the team more so as like a training purposes not so much like I'm gonna be the best distance runner I can be attitude I mean I still try my best but I was more track focused and then um my junior year I ran 800 kind of randomly and I did pretty well um I think I ran 213 on an indoor 200 meter track and I think I might have um, hit a provisional mark, like a national time standard. I can't remember, but um, I think I ran. So then I started running the 800 and I went to nationals a couple times for it. And um, three time All-American in the event. Yeah. And then I mostly was like focusing on the 800. And then uh, when I graduated, I used my extra season of cross in Texas uh, at a universe, uh, the University of Texas at Arlington knew I wasn't going to be like, it wasn't going to be like this. I was kind of like a um, track star, I guess, a little bit at my old school. And I knew well, you were a three time All-American. I think it's yeah. a fair, a fair statement to, to make. But distance running, I just knew I, I was just going to um, get my master's and then I was going to be a grad assistant coach. And um, that in Texas is when I really started to run more miles. Um more long runs, longest, I mean, like 10 miles, 12 miles. This is just kind of for fun. I was just training with the girls because they had a small team. I was able to run with them. And that's kind of a, a small transition into my distance running. But the marathon was a big jump. <laughs> it sounds like it. That's for sure, right? If you're like doing 100 meter, 100 meter dash training and then, you know, three or four short years later, you're like, oh, marathon time. Um, well, let's talk about that because, you know, it's the, the college track experience, I think, is especially for not that you went to like, you know, it's, you know, we're not talking about like the Big 12, right? Like you didn't, you didn't like you were in the SEC, you were in the Big 12. So it's, it's, you know, a little bit smaller scale, um, but still equally impressive and equally fantastic. And that's the thing about track is where it's like, it's such an interesting sport because it's so time based. Where like, obviously, if you go to a big school, like it's nice to have like the competition, the facilities, but like ultimately your time is your time. And that's just kind of the way it goes. And, you know, you're out there running 213, which is super impressive. Um, when you were going through that experience of like, all right, you know, you don't even participate as junior because you're hurt. It's your senior year and you just kind of like stumble into college track in a way. 
And then all of a sudden this becomes this major thing where you're an All-American and so on and so forth. What was the motivation for you to keep, you know, pushing and driving hard? Because and if people who haven't been college athletes may not know this, like it's it's hard to be a college athlete. Because it just there's so many constraints on your time, uh, especially for someone like you, like who's doing a sport in the spring and the fall. You might say, "Oh, well, what about the winter?" But like the winter and spring sports, just like the winter and fall sports, they overlap. So if you're doing a spring and a, a fall sport, there's not a lot of time in between them either, and a lot of time that's just like the extra term break. So what was it like for you in terms of you know stumbling into college track and then ultimately pursuing it with the level you did, and what were some of the choices that you made along the road? I think it was just like this innate drive to be competitive and always push myself to my potential or my limits just to see what I could do. So I didn't really have too much trouble in that aspect, just kind of staying motivated. Um, My freshman year was kind of like a, let's see how this goes. And then when I was kind of, I broke the 400 record a couple times and as a freshman and. Oh, what times? um, I'm uh, sorry. I like that was, that was my event. So like I can actually like make like. (laughs) I usually put it into some some level of context. I think I okay. So in high school, I ran like a fifty seven, and it was so close to the uh, college record. So I'm like, I'm gonna try for this because I'm so close. And I ended up running. I think I ran fifty six something my freshman year, fifty six point zero six or something. Um, and I didn't end up breaking that again until my senior, my very last race. I ran fifty five. Point seven. Oh, wow. But, um, That's flying. So when I broke that record, it was kind of, okay, how, well, well, what else can I do? And I was looking at, like, national marks. So that kind of became my goal. Like, I want to try to run, go to, nation- or go to nationals or for the 400. And that never happened because I ended up getting more into 800. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of, like, my lifestyle, I guess. Like, I really liked the grind. Like, I liked uh working hard at practice you know staying late hours in the library sleeping at home like getting up doing it again was just something I enjoyed so when that was all over it was definitely a hard transition I can imagine right because like post-college like there's just like adult track meets just really aren't a thing yeah. Right. They just they're they're just aren't. You know, there, there's some out there, but it's not like the thing you're gonna find a lot of people doing. It's a very, very niche sport. Um whereas obviously with road running, no matter the length, like that's just much more popular, much more accessible, and so on and so forth. So as you are looking at, you know, post-college, staying active and potentially continuing to pursue a sport that you love in running. What were some of the things that you were even thinking about in terms of your level of engagement with the sport moving forward? Um, at first I was, well, when I was finally, when I was done with my, all my education, um, I took a break like the summer. Um, I kind of just was running for fun or I was thinking about what can I get into next? Like CrossFit, like long distance running. I don't know. I was just, I, cause I, I can see CrossFit like being a thing, right? You're coming from the 400, yeah. 800. Like you're, you've done like basically hit workouts for years at that point. Maybe not like with kettlebells, but like just from a sprinting standpoint. Yeah. I was just like, what is going to be next for me? And I kind of just rested a while. Um, I was, I moved to Utah and I was just get, adjusting to this transition of post uh, college life, ath- athlete life. 
Um, and that's, I was itching for something. And um, then I seen the, the Native Women Running Boston opportunity. And many people were asking me, like, oh, are you going to run a marathon? Or when's the, when are you going to run a marathon? I'm like, I'm not going to run a marathon. Like, I'm not <laughs> interested in that. I don't think you hadn't even run like a mile in competition. Yeah. I mean, you should say it because you've done cross country, but like, I'm still thinking about the track. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just like, why? Like, no, um, I, I kept telling people like, oh, I want to run a marathon eventually crossed off like the bucket list, but not for a couple of years. But when I seen this opportunity, it just, it just, um, something was just kind of telling me to apply for it um, and go for it. Uh, just, I guess the bigger like purpose of it and where I'm at. Um, with like reclaiming my identity, I guess. All right, let's 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 talk about that. I think I would want to also refresh people's minds if they don't, if they haven't done it. We have had uh, a conversation with Sam Noyce, who is also part of this program with Shayla. If you've listened to that podcast, some of this may sound familiar in a second. If you haven't, you'll listen to that episode too, because Sam is also just like Shayla, an extraordinary person and athlete. So let's go through the timeline first, because I think that's the part that I. I I had to like double check because I was like, this is such a quick turnaround. So when, when, when did you kind of find out about it and um, ultimately like you know, put your application in and find out? Um, because I think this is the thing that can be a little startling for people uh, when they find out what the, what the actual timeline and turnaround was. Yeah, it was eight weeks before the Boston Marathon. So uh, I also applied like pretty last minute. I was like one of those people that turns in the application like a minute before it's due kind of because I was just I can relate to that. Yeah, I was kind of I can relate to that. (laughs) Well, you got to experience that firsthand with me, uh, us like basically trying to like nail down a time for this podcast. Like that's exactly how I go about things too. Yeah. And some of the questions, you know, they were like, you know, what does running mean to you? Like, how are you involved in your community? Like, what's your running like? What's your running been? Uh, Can you run a marathon? Like, within these or do you think you'll be able to within the next eight weeks or whatever and I luckily I had I had gotten back into running a little bit um I think I had like two or three weeks of consistent mileage like 30 mile weeks um nothing like extreme but so I probably trained like 10-ish weeks 10 and a half weeks for Boston Now, before you said something just a couple minutes ago that I definitely wanted to explore, and that was you talked about part of the reason that you wanted to do this was not simply like, hey, marathon, bucket list, why not do Boston, right? Like who doesn't want to run Boston if you're interested in marathoning, but just kind of the reclaiming your cultural identity piece. Take me back. Like, what When you say that, um, let's go all the way back in terms of like, you know, when you say reclaim, I guess, where when was it? not part of your life or when was it lost in your life? Um, and then we can kind of proceed forward. Yeah. Um, so when I was really young, I was three, I was adopted by my maternal grandparents. So they're non-native and, um, it wasn't like a horrible, no experience or anything. Like my grandparents, um, told me and one of my sisters that were native and they, um, made it an effort to engage us in our culture, like language, powwow. Um, we got our, we were given our names and our colors um, by a medicine man. And my grandma did a lot, um, joined Title VI, I believe it's called now, um, with the school. Uh, wasn't as engaged 
during high school years because I was really into sports in school. When I went to college, it was kind of, um, I wanted to be more involved and I would do, I would volunteer for Native American Student Association, always help out with the powwows. I wasn't dancing. I um, wasn't really a part of the student group, but I would always make it a priority to volunteer for the fundraising events and everything and help out when I could because sports track was a big part of my identity. So you're just kind of like on the periphery of it. Yeah. Um, kind of felt, I usually felt kind of like uncomfortable embracing that side of me. Um, I was the only native on my track team. My sister was on the team for, um, one season, but she was a basketball player. Um, so it, I didn't always talk about that side of me. And when I did, I kind of got some negative or uncomfortable experiences. And when I went to Texas. Can I, I stop was, you there? Yeah. When you say so like uncomfortable experiences, would you mind just fleshing that out a little bit more? Um, just because I, it just, I think it's important to hear if you're, if you're comfortable sharing and, and just going through this. Cause I think it, it also ties into the importance of embracing this Um kind of the journey you're on now yeah um like I have no hard feelings because I don't want I just don't like to want to say anything bad or in a negative or make something sound bad because people just don't really understand the history but if I would say something like oh I'm gonna go to the powwow after this or I need to leave early because I have the powwow I'm helping and some I remember one of my teammates kind of did like a war cry and it was just really awkward and I was just like yeah like I didn't even correct her or anything that like, you just don't do that because I was just so uncomfortable I was like shocked or sometimes just um maybe another person be like oh I have native ancestry like way back and I mean that's not super problematic or like super offensive but still like I can't really relate or like I just don't know why you'd tell me that I guess or like I don't know um just sort of those uncomfortable experiences and then just with my within myself like I didn't feel comfortable just like talking about that or like I remember my dad who he's um he got diagnosed with cancer and just telling my coach like hey I need to go see my dad like I don't know if like how long he's going to be around and stuff. And it's just, she was, they were always like really understanding and, um, in that aspect, but it was just different because it's like, I grew up with my grandparents and that's what everyone knew. And then um, I don't know. It's like, why do you live with your grandparents or where is your mom or where's your dad? Right. So it was all kind of tied into each other. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about this this morning, like my, my event coach, when I was breaking some records, he was asking me, like, uh, like, do you want me to use your full name? Like, and I was kind of like, eh, it doesn't matter. Whatever's easier. But he was like, no, like, I think we should use your full name. Like, kind of embracing, like, all who I am. And I was just, like, in the moment, I was like, okay, whatever. But now looking back, I'm like, I'm really happy that he suggested that and wanted to do that for me. Yeah, let's talk about that, right? Because it's so interesting because you've someone who – you know, you're super successful from a college athlete standpoint, right? You're literally breaking records. 
And yet at the same time, like you're not quite embracing parts of your life that you obviously listening to you now, like you, you did kind of want to embrace, but maybe not to the level you felt comfortable in the moment. Talk to us about like that experience where like you're basically being prompted by another individual to kind of accept something that you've already said, like, hey, like I wish I would have done more of this. Just the interplay there between like the embracing and wanting to do it, but not quite feeling comfortable and just that that tough little middle ground there. Um, that can be so tough for people, especially as they're kind of growing and maturing into who they are. Yeah, I feel like what I mentioned, even my high school coach used to say the same thing. Like when he found out we were native, me and my sister, he was like, oh, you guys should embrace your culture and maybe get to some powwows and learn more about your culture and your heritage. And it wasn't, it's more hindsight now where I'm like, that's so cool that, you know, I had those supportive people because in the moment I'm just like, I don't know what that, I don't know what it means to be uh, indigenous or I don't know. I'll, like um, when I was, when I moved 20 hours away in Texas is kind of more when it was like more apparent in my face. Like I was feeling so disconnected and I'm like, I need to find like the native group on campus or something like, and when I did, that was like a pivotal moment in my like cultural journey or identity. Like I just, I helped out a lot with the powwow and the group. And that was kind of like a new identity forming outside of my athlete identity. And um, I kind of decided, I'm like, I want to work within a native community. Like, how can I do that? Um, I studied exercise science. I wasn't really sure how to blend the two. Um, so when I graduated, I didn't feel super like equipped to just immerse my, immerse myself. So um, I wrote my research papers on native youth obesity and um, like cultural ta- culturally tailored interventions. And when I graduated, I just started to just put myself more out there as far as learning about um, my culture. So it's been like a year now. Actually, I graduated a year ago today. So. Wow, you've done, you've done a lot. You've done a lot in a year. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, so tell me about what was different when you went to UT Arlington about your immersion in that group that didn't quite take up at Northern Michigan. Obviously, you know, there's there's a sport element there, but the sport element was there kind of in both places too, right? And I think that. Um, you know, so I, was it that the group was different? Was it that you were different? You were just willing to, what, what was the difference there that was the catalyst for the changes that we've seen now? I think it was um, what you mentioned about me just wanting to grow more, me being a little bit different. Um, because I mean, in Texas, it wasn't super known about indigenous history. Um, like if I said I was native to some of my friends, they didn't really like know or like get it I guess or like know what to say or do um or they just call me white I mean like because I just didn't understand um but my the athletic advisor he was really like supportive in me he kind of challenged me to like hey will you talk um say something for indigenous people's day or you know like talk would you be willing to uh, like educate about like the boarding schools or um, like mascots just things like that and um, 
I, when I was like trying to figure things out, I was, um, I got connected to a lot of um, native scholars and people that I, I reached out to people that I wanted to be like, or like, Hey, how did you get to this point? Um, and, you know, I made a lot of connections that way. And I was able to speak on some panels um, as an indigenous student and just kind of like went up from there. Now, as an adopted child, how did you connect with a, and if, if you connected with a very particular native heritage or community um, while you may have had like some family lineage, it wasn't necessarily part of your upbringing? Yeah. So my band or tribe is in Canada. It's called Wikwemekong Unceded Territory. And we're Anishinaabe people. So in Michigan, there's a lot of Anishinaabe people. So that helped a lot. But since being in Texas and Utah, they're very different natives there and not necessarily like um, Anishinaabe culture ways. But, I, you know, we're still like, I'm still like welcomed and, you know, I still participate in ceremony or other events. And um, so I actually went to Wik, I call it Wiki for short, um, in 2018 for the first time. So my grandma, my maternal grandma and my aunt and my sister, we went to Wiki, spent a couple of days there for the annual cultural festival. It's like a three day powwow and haven't been able to been haven't been able to go back since covid and stuff but i'm really hoping i get to go this year my aunt who brought me there she just passed a couple days ago so i'm like i'm really disappointed i'm really yeah i'm really bummed because i was hoping i kept talking like hey we're gonna go back again like when everything's open so you know i was kind of worried about making the trip but i feel like now it's like i should just go all right, so let's fast forward to two months ago, right? So all of a sudden you're thinking about, all right, am I going to do the marathon? Am I not? Native women, Native women's running, um, had you know, puts out their post, kind of like a call to action. If you're if you're into this, come let us know. What was kind of the the final decision point for you in terms of like, hey, this is actually something that I want to pursue this year. It was a mix between me wanting to connect my like cultural identity and also like my innate drive to be like competitive and push myself and see what I'm capable of. It was kind of that like combination of because it was so soon, I was like, you know, I'm not going to run like a world record in the marathon. Like, I'm sorry. I'm going to skip to the last page here. Sheila, you ran incredibly well. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want, also don't want you to get away with saying that you, you know, that you had such a, like a, a low bar to clear. You ran very, very well. So we'll, we'll talk about that later, but I don't want to, I can't let you get away with that for, for a second. I, I was just, I knew I, from the get go, I'm like, there's no pressure. This is just going to be a growing learning experience for me. Like personally, culturally, physically, spiritually, mentally, just across the board. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So eight weeks out, you get the, you get the, okay, I'm doing it. How did that change your life from a training point perspective? And now you're in a position where you've now married the two things that you said at UT that you were like kind of 
not sure how to marry these two things in terms of like embracing the cultural identity piece and from a professional perspective, not just personal and the athletic piece, which obviously that was your, your, your form of study. So all of a sudden these things are now smashed together. You're doing it. How did it change your life during those two months um, of training and just, you know, representing what you were doing? It brought me a lot closer to my community even though I'm 20,000 or not 20,000, 2,000 miles away. Um, like I mentioned, wikis in Canada and just so, also the social, social media aspect is how I found native women running. And just that piece, like they would see a run or they would see something, an article. And there are a lot of people really supportive people I didn't know. And I was just really surprised. And I met, I got really close to some of my cousins there and I would ask for help or guidance or, I decided I want to run in prayer. And then I asked my cousin, like, what's the, what's the most appropriate way for me to do this? I want to run for this. Like, and she told me what I should do before I run. And um, my thoughts changed a little bit during my training, like during long runs. Sometimes I would, it wasn't always just like, oh, like oh, I hit the mileage or worrying about my pace. It was more like, why am I doing this? I thought a lot about like, my purpose of why I decided to do this. And um, that always kind of kept me grounded and kept my training going strong. Um, just kind of being like the inspiration for uh, other indigenous runners, women, men, or even the youth, especially was kind of my focus. Yeah. And it seemed like you went very quickly from someone who was kind of like searching for people to be like and either mentors or just guideposts along the way to all of a sudden like you're in that position potentially for other people, um, people that are younger than you, maybe even some people who are older than you who are, who are looking at you as doing something that they would want to do someday. So how did you reflect on the fact that like, hey, like, you know, that all of a sudden you're potentially doing these things for others where just a few short years ago or even maybe even a few, few short months ago, you were looking for those same kinds of people and then trying to figure it all out yourself. Yeah. It feels like a full circle moment kind of. Um, it was in the end of 2020. I actually found a native woman runner, native woman um, runner. Her name's Jordan Marie Daniels. Mm -hmm. Do you know her? Yeah. She's been on the show a couple of times. She's great. Yeah. So she's the one that really like inspired me to kind of, search um more into my running my heritage um how i can kind of blend the two and yeah what is it um 2022 so almost two years later I've, i'm more connected on that journey um i'm it's gonna probably be like a lifelong journey but it's like a full circle like wow i can't believe this has all happened within the past couple of years yeah i think the la last time she was on the show it was actually part of our rambling runner virtual summit. So it was part of that. And then we recorded it and we put it out as a podcast like a month later. And her topic, which is kind of like a Ted talk basically um, was, you know, trying to run to represent something, you know, whether it's a cause a group, right? Some people run for, you know, um, running for cancer or running, you, know, run, you run for a lot of different things, right? So running for that while also, running to like be your best running self, right? Which sometimes aren't necessarily the same thing, 
right? Because there's one is much more external, uh, potentially, uh, or maybe more external than internal. The other one is maybe more internal than external. Um, so as you were progressing through your training, how were you able to balance like, hey, I'm going out here, like I want to do well, obviously, but, I, but I'm doing this for more than just myself. What was that kind of duality like? I feel like it was a pretty, um, what's the word, like healthy mix. Um, you know, if there was ever, I never really stressed about my time. Like, um, I did have kind of a pace goal during the race during, um, because I didn't want to go out too fast and blow up or, and you know, that 3.30 did stay in my mind a little bit. Um, that was kind of like at the very end of the training, you know, that kind of was my physical goal. Like I kind of wanted to shoot for it, you know, before I started training, I was like, I looked up the time, the qualifying times and I'm like three thirty, eight minute pace. Like that's so fast for 26 miles. Like, I mean, I've ran eight, eight minute pace before and shorter runs. But I'm like, could I hold that for so long? And and just during my training and days when maybe it felt like, ugh, I don't want to get up and run. It was just that purpose brought me back to like, okay, let's go and do this. Even during my race, it was like that purpose that really, that prayer that really like got me, that kept me going. Like people kept asking me like, oh, how, what did you feel after you were done? And like, what were you, I don't, the whole experience was kind of like shock. Like, I'm just like, I still am in shock that I did that. I can imagine, uh, man, and you, and you ran so well. So talk to me about, and we'll, we'll dive into the race now. So talk to me about like what the plan was for you and obviously not just like the pace plan, but you were running as prayer and you, you this was a multi-layered comprehensive event for you. So talk to me about how you prepared for it and what and how you wanted to execute on that day holistically. Yeah. Um, one thing I should mention is I had um, a coach. And his wife, uh, Scott Browning and Mick too, they helped me with this whole experience. I want to give them a shout out because I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Um, when I found out I was going to Boston, I messaged him like, hey, um, can you help me run a marathon in eight weeks? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> they were like, they were down, but also like, we don't want to get you injured. But everything went perfect. And um, Scott helped me like the night before, like, we're going to give you a range of times um, for each like big point in the race, you know, I'm not super familiar with marathons, but I guess you kind of want to know your mile, um, your 5k, 10k, maybe your half. Right. And obviously each race course is different, right? Cause like yeah. from like four to 14, it's, it's never flat at Boston. Yeah. But it's like more, it's relatively more flat than like the first 5k and then the Newton Hills and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I had a range. I think the slower end of my range was the 3.30 pace. So if I was hitting at least those times, I would get 3.30. And then the faster the faster range was probably like 7-something pace. Um, I don't completely remember, but I wrote them all on my arm. Uh, and because it was like wave 4, I was weaving a little bit. Right, we should say because 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 you're in that program is kind of like you're with like the charity group runners, yeah. which is a great spot to be. But obviously, for someone who's shooting for three thirty, that's not exactly the crowd that you normally would be in. Yeah, I remember looking up at one one of the points in the beginning of the race, and all I saw was like people the whole 
street. It's like one of those like, uh, iconic pictures of the Boston Marathon. Yeah, I'm like, how am I supposed to get through? Or like, like I don't know. Um, but I wasn't stressing too much. But uh, I did add some mileage. So like, my when I look at my watch, it'd be like 5k, and I'd look at my pace range. I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then the 5k mark would be like down the road. I'm like, oh shoot, like I don't know. <laughs> there are some moments of like a little bit of panic, maybe I because I kind of wanted to stay on that range. So I'm like, oh no, am I on pace? Am I off pace? Um, but I kept reminding myself, like, just relax. Like, it's not you're not really to- just only doing this for like a time. So, yeah. All right. So you know, once let's talk about uh, the prayer part of it. All right. So how did so so we talked about the time and obviously like you you did run well. You did. As I mentioned in the intro, people have already heard, like, you did qualify for Boston to run Boston again, which is, you know, we don't ever know how the window is going to play out, but you're kind of in that mix, potentially run Boston again, um, which is exciting. So from a pacing perspective, obviously it worked out, even with the, the, the being farther in the in the group than you normally would be. However, like, that's not the whole story here. So, so talk to me about what the plan was from a prayer perspective and how you were able to execute that that aspect of it. Yeah, Um so when I woke up on race day, I was kind of feeling like a little off, like um, maybe a little sickness or a little sinuses. So even from the first get going, like, okay, this is going to be way more than physical. Um, just because I'm kind of already feeling physically off a little bit. Um, I'm going to really, really have to tap into my spiritual, mental, emotional parts of me. Um, I made a tobacco tie in the morning, um, put the prayers I ended up pinning it on my shirt on the left side, smudged before the race, and put some cedar in my racing shoes. And I wanted to pray for healing. Um, I know a lot of different runners prayed for different things. And I just wanted to pray for healing during the Boston because I feel like healing is so powerful um, and just goes a long way. And I feel like I'm kind of on my healing journey too. And I just want to, uh, I wanted to acknowledge that not just for myself, but also for all my relations. All right. So you say you're praying for healing. Was it directed at certain people or for certain people at different stages of the race? Was it more just from a general healing perspective or how would you go about executing that, those prayer vibes as you're going? Yeah, I did write down names of some people, um, before the race, for specific reasons, um, someone was um, so like sober or healing or uh, going through their adoption or their reconnecting. You know, there were some specific people and things I prayed for. And then I also just took it from a general approach and thought about like how far we've come as a people and just prayed for all my relations. So not just people, but like the earth and just like you know we're still here i wanted to pray for that um as well and even people uh people who aren't here like so like my grandparents or my father and i just wanted to acknowledge them too with my run well you ran incredibly well it's it i love the video of like you in the last quarter mile like you are 
flying. Like, <laughs> obviously, like you got the track background, so you know you always have a little bit left, and you always got that kick. It'd probably be there for the rest of your life, frankly. Um, but obviously, you were feeling pretty good as well because you even you don't look like someone who's kicking who looks like they're on their last legs. Like you actually look pretty fresh. <laughs> pretty, it was an astonishing video to watch. Um, so you ran incredibly well. So congratulations. Um, but we can't get out of here until we talk about um, Billy Mills. So he is one of the best runners in American history. Um, you know, one of the, the most decorated runners in American history, um, not just with what he's done, what he did throughout his whole life, but also in the Olympics as well. And somebody who you've experienced on, on, a, on a, not just a running perspective. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, giving a little intro in terms of like what the, what your intro was to Billy Mills and his legacy, just as a complete person and, and what you've been doing recently um, associated with that. Yeah. So I, um, Billy Mills has a nonprofit or nonprofit organization called running strong for American Indian youth. And every year they give out 10, 10,000 grants to youth, um, indigenous youth who want, who want to make a difference in their community. So he's kind of passing down like what he's done, wanting to keep it going um, even when he's no longer Earthside. So I ended up applying to start a Native youth running program because I kind of wanted to uh, take what I've learned, what I wish I would have had growing up and be able to pro provide that for, for youth. Um, let them know that they're safe and it's okay to embrace who they are, you know, um, incorporate the culture with running. And I ended up getting awarded a grant. So there's 10 dream starters and we go to an academy kind of just to learn about um, how to communicate our dreams. You know, they give us tips and we get to meet Billy. And um, yeah, that was just, I'm really grateful. I got to meet and learn from him and um, learn some, uh, get to know some of the stories he's he's he has with the running and I told him about my marathon and he was like oh yeah I ran a marathon before and I made the Olympic team <laughs> I'm like oh that's awesome but yeah he's like yeah I ran the Olympic um trials was it and he's like yeah that was the last time I did the marathon I'm like <laughs> what a flex what a flex by Billy Mills I did it once yeah yeah <laughs> I'm like yeah yeah I can just um, hearing his experience and what he's doing across Indian country and just um, in a way, you know, I don't have the same, like I'm not Olympi Olympian, but I want to follow his foot footsteps, especially with running. I feel like that's where I have that, like a little bit, a different connection with his story. Like I understand it a little bit more. Um, you've been watching his race, like his 10K Olympic race when he kind of like just kicks in the last like 200 hundred meters i'm like i could just like feel that like in my within my fibers i'm like oh i just know what that feels like when the very end when you're just so tired and you're just giving it all and um him kind of coming back as an underdog i feel like that was kind of my experience too like kind of always felt like the underdog a little bit just showing up at these big meets um so i just really value his story and what he's doing and i really i'm i really want to follow it in in my own way yeah i mean People who know running really well, and especially the history of running, you know, Billy Mills is obviously not a spring chicken anymore, but, you know, the people who know the history of running know where he falls into it. He's one of the, the titans of the sport. Um, when did you become aware either of him and or that he was also a Native American runner who represented some of the things that you were trying to represent as well? I'm 
some of the indigenous athletes I've learned about like when I was in college, but they're like the depths of their story wasn't as apparent to me. Something that probably went over my head um, or I just didn't really like connect with as strongly um, during my undergraduate years. I remember, oh man, when was it? Probably within the past couple of years, I remember watching Billy Mills racing video. And I it was probably for an indigenous um, day or event. And it was in color, like the video was in color. But um, I think it was a native youth group that I went to. And they wanted to bring up his story. I kind of forgot why, but um, but that kind of like, um, like connected with me a little bit because I was more like on my journey of like becoming more culturally connected and um, post this was my post-college athlete life so it was probably more like wow like look what he's still doing and how he's using his running and his platform to give back um, I think that's probably why it connected with me more yeah that's a great point right he wasn't just someone who did extraordinary things as an athlete but has made impact well beyond that and people who are impacted by him now who I never saw him run mm-hmm. yeah. right and he's still he's still um you know living that life so shayla thank you so much for coming on what's next i know we started talking about this offline but like, oh, we'll talk about bringing it up on the pod yeah. so what you, you've run boston right um kind of spur of the moment the sh- a shotgun marathon uh so to speak but um what's what's coming up are you gonna stay with the marathon or are you thinking about other things um, I'm thinking this summer I'm going to run some shorter races, um, just get some more that speedier races like the 5k, maybe a 10k, maybe hop in a mile, a road race mile. Uh, but I actually am thinking of running another marathon in December, more so this time to be more performance geared just to see because the Boston was eight weeks uh, training time. So I just kind of want to give myself more training just to see what I can do. Um, just curious what I, just to see if I can get closer to that three hour mark or, um, just kind of have fun with it too. Um, so that's kind of like what I have planned within 2022. We'll kind of go from there. (laughs) That's exciting. Yeah. We put out a podcast today with Diane Neubauer, who, um, like you, like, you know, was, was, was a, was a, you know, a really good runner, pretty early on got of the marathon and you know didn't go into it with like super like marathon training heading into a first one which a lot of people do right a lot of people just kind of like sign up hey i'll figure it out see if this is my thing and um she ran like a 350 right which is great congratulations you know but then um she just kept going and going and going like now she's like ran at 244 at this boston and was like you know it's like you know it's my training was better than a 244. I'm excited to get faster than that. You know what I mean? You just kind of yeah. like keep going down. It's, it is. It was a fun podcast to talk to her about because or good. It was, it was a fun. It was a fun conversation to have because it like showed like this constant improvement. Because like you know like we all want to improve, and obviously certain people are born with certain genetic gifts and well. And you're a college track all American, so you got a, plenty of running gifts. So it'll be exciting to see where it takes you and, and all of that. So. Sheila, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey. Yes, thank you for having me. All right, Shayla, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, big shout out to Tannery for sponsoring this episode. Go check them out today. 
Summer's here, okay? And you're gonna need sunscreen and you're gonna want really good sunscreen. So why not get sunscreen made for runners, by runners that you know is gonna protect you and it's gonna keep your eyes feeling good. It's not gonna be running all into your face. And uh, that's just, that's the worst. When the sunscreen gets into your eyes and it just starts burning and you know you can't wipe it away because it's just gonna put more sunscreen in your eyes. It's a, it's a vicious cycle, one that I've experienced many, many times. And luckily, not recently, because I'm using Tannery. So also use code RAMBLING at checkout to save some dough as well. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.